This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. We didn't say anything when the radiologist's job was threatened by a computer that could read an x-ray. But now, the systems are coming for the rest of us. Now, selfish, narcissistic, childish billionaires buy companies and then fire people who work there for fun. Some organizations that understand that our job is. Today my guest is Seth Godin, an American author, entrepreneur, marketer, and public speaker who has written 21 international bestsellers. His books have been translated into 38 languages. He writes one of the world's most popular marketing blogs, The Honeybee Example. Explain what that example is. So let's start by explaining that humans are not bees. A beehive is 15,000 individual creatures that are not actually individual. They are very much like the neurons in a human brain, turned inside out. If one bee sacrifices its life. How do you hire properly? What I'm saying is if it's easy to measure, might not be important. The song of significance, what does that actually mean? Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. Success Story is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Quick question before we get started. Did you ever play the game telephone as a kid? You start with one message, but as people share it, it gets more and more distorted. Sometimes work and feel that way, but the last thing you want for your business is to get a distorted message across your team. HubSpot helps you say goodbye to that chaos by helping you get all your teams on the same page. It's all in one. Your customer-facing teams will absolutely love it. You track leads, deals, support tickets, and everything in between all from one spot. You need to know what your sales team is up to? Done. Want to see how your marketing campaigns are performing? You got it covered. HubSpot gives you and your teams all the vital customer info they need to create the best possible experience, no matter where they are. Save yourself the headache. See how powerful true connection can be. Give HubSpot a try. Your team and your customers will thank you later. Get started for free today at HubSpot.com. Today, my guest is Seth Godin, an American author, entrepreneur, marketer, and public speaker who has written 21 international bestsellers that have changed the way people think about work. His books have been translated into 38 languages. These books include Purple Cow, Tribes, Lynchpin, and The Dip. He writes one of the world's most popular marketing blogs at Seths.blog and hosts a podcast called Akimbo. He has given two of the most popular TED Talks of all time and has been inducted into the American Marketing Association's Marketing Hall of Fame. He is also the founder of several companies, including the Alt-MBA, Squidoo, a website where users created pages on any topic, and Yoyodyne, one of the first internet-based direct marketing firms that was acquired by Yahoo in 1998. He's known for his innovative and unconventional ideas on how to spread ideas, build tribes, and make a difference in the world. His latest book is The Song of Significance, A New Manifesto for Teams. 
I think the magic optimist moment is that we have more than one of those. We have countless. We don't live in a Marvel comic book. In a Marvel comic book, a spider is required to bite you for you to become Spider-Man. And after that, everything is ordained. So when I think about my life, I think about winning the parent lottery and growing up in Buffalo, New York. I think about what happened to me in a canoe in 1977, teaching somebody that set me on the path of being a teacher. I think about meeting Fred Wilson and Jerry Colonna and becoming Fred's first investment as an independent VC and building one of the first internet companies. I think about uh, looking at the World Wide Web and thinking that's a fraud, that'll never work, and losing billions and billions of dollars as a result. But for this book, for the Song of Significance, I think about Dan and Frankie. I think about being uh, in a little place in Northern California and hearing about Jacqueline Freeman's work and the Song of Significance, a Song of Increase, and learning about how the bees sing the Song of Increase and being completely transformed by their story and by the analogy between bees and humans. And then everything that unfolded in the week that followed that led me to realize that I had this book in me and I had no choice but to share it. It's, it's very interesting when you dive into topics, uh, you do them so thoughtfully and, and that sort of tees up why you wrote this book. And that was gonna be my next question to be quite honest. It's why are you diving into this topic? Because from a very high level, it seems that we're doing better at leadership and we're doing better at building organ. It seems like it. It seems like we've moved away from the command and control, but it, I think that when you're in organizations, I think that that's very far from the truth. So what, explain to the listeners, the song of significance, what does that actually mean in 2023? Well, you know, there's a fork in the road and if you see a fork, you should take it. On one end is more industrialism. We didn't say anything when the steam shovel made it hard to be a ditch digger. And we didn't say anything when the people working on the assembly line were told to race robots. Um, we didn't say anything when the radiologist's job was threatened by a computer that could read an x-ray just as well as a mediocre radiologist could. But now the systems are coming for the rest of us. Now cranky, sullen, selfish, narcissistic, childish billionaires buy companies and then fire them for fun, fire people who work there for fun. And, you know, they basically toy with people and torture them because they have power. And the problem with the race to the bottom is that you might win. And the alternative, the fork in the road, is there are some organizations that understand that shareholder value tomorrow is not the point and that humans are not a resource. Humans are people and they are the point. Our job is not to get the last bit of value every day out of every individual by counting their keystrokes. Our job is to make things better. And the, the example that you referenced is, a, is an extreme example. Do you not feel that on average, we're not doing better work, we're not building healthier organizations? I know that shareholder value is still of top of mind for a lot of companies, but even, you know, I look at, one of the main examples that you bring up in the book, how tech got it wrong, I would have thought that tech would have been some of the more forward-looking organizations that would have been adopting better practices, better leadership policies, treating people more like humans than just pieces of an assembly line. 
Well, sometimes they do, and then they get stuck because of VCs, because of the stock market, because of scale. And you know, I hear from people every day around the world in so many industries. When you get pitched by a publicist who's just churning a list and doesn't care that they're spamming you, and when you get called at home by a telemarketer who's churning a list and doesn't care that they're lying to you, or you talk to a vice president at a bank who actually has no authority of any kind to do anything, even change the order of the bills they're handing you, they're just doing their job too. And the crank of the industrial engine persists. And yes, there are doctors who will take their time and look you in the eye. And there are clerks who will take their time and ask you a pleasantry. There are people who will choose to be people at work. But too often, it's the exception. It's not what mm. they're supposed to do all day. And so the reason that my publisher pushed this book up six months, which they've never done in all my years of working with them, is that they have said, this is a moment we need to talk about this. And we're not. What we've been doing for a long time is saying, we can be industrialists, we can have a manual, and we can have free snacks and feel like we have agency. But in fact, you don't get the and part because industrialists, given their druthers, will act a lot like Elon Musk, will act a lot like somebody who's standing there with a stopwatch because the stock market makes them, as opposed to, for example, the way that Google treated its first 500 employees, which is not what it's like to work at Google today. Now, you mentioned, you mentioned the honeybee example, and I want you to explain what that example is and, and some of the similarities and how we can sort of take examples from honeybees, which is a, a wild example, and you're going to go into it in a second. Um, but then I want to draw some parallels between the, the adaptive and the thriving nature of the honeybees and during their, their song of increase and in the face of adversity. And then we can encourage similar resilience and forward motion and in individuals and organizations uh, promoting a sense of safety, psychological security, like all these different things that are good leadership techniques and tactics and strategy that we sort of, well, that you have originally seen in a, in a, in a beehive. So explain that to me. So let's start by explaining that humans are not bees, that in fact, uh, a beehive, and I could share bee trivia all day long, but a beehive <laughs> is, 50, is 15,000 individual creatures that are not actually individual. They're very much like the neurons in a human brain turned inside out. If one bee sacrifices its life or is killed, the beehive persists. That they somehow manage to be organized without an organizer, to exist in community without a leader. And that's how our brain works too. There isn't one neuron in your brain that's in charge of everything. So what Jacqueline Freeman wrote about when she wrote The Song of Increase was what happens to the bees at the end of a long winter. So that's in May in the Northern Hemisphere. If they've survived, and many hives don't, they will have depleted much of their honey because the purpose of the honey of the honey in the hive is not to give people some a plastic-shaped bear to squeeze in their tea. The purpose of the honey is to sustain the hive when times are tough. But if they made it through the winter and they have enough honey, just barely, the council maidens, the women who run the hive, will have a meeting and realize they have a chance to leap 
And so they'll do two things. The first thing is they'll build a vertical egg chamber and ask the queen to lay and fertilize a queen egg because there's only one queen in a hive at a time. And the second thing they'll do is they'll instruct all the other maidens, sometimes called worker bees, to go out and collect as much pollen as they possibly can. And within just a couple weeks, they will replenish all the honey that the hive was running low on. And the baby queen will be about to be born. And then something really cool happens, which is that within a 10-minute period of time, more than 10,000 bees and the queen will swarm and leave the hive all at the same time and go 200 meters away. That's called the song of increase. What a daring leap to leave behind the honey, leave behind the new queen, leave behind all the babies, the pips, and just go somewhere you've never been before. And then they only have three days to find a new place to live. And that leap is what permits bees to thrive and to evolve. And human beings who are not bees have been seduced by industrialism to sing the song of safety, to hunker down, to watch a little bit more TV, to buy a little bit more crap, and just go to work tomorrow. And we are capable of more than that. We are capable of leaping into this void. Let's just take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, HubSpot and the HubSpot Podcast Network have incredible podcasts you have to listen to, like Entrepreneurs on Fire, hosted by John Lee Dumas. He's been in the podcast game for forever. He gives you insightful interviews. Now, imagine this. You're getting firsthand experience from successful entrepreneurs like Kevin Lannister, who knows a thing or two about navigating the chaos in rapidly changing industries. He runs the fastest growing IT company in the world, or Tyler Wagner, who believes in the power of your story to scale your business online. Or how about learning from Tom Antion's old but gold insights on transforming hobbies into streams of passive income. If you are an entrepreneur, you need to listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire, hosted by John Lee Dumas, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. So what is it gonna take? What is it gonna take for us to, to make that leap? I am asking people through this book to have a conversation, to talk to the others and to simply say, let's get real or let's not play, to engage in a series of mutual commitments with bosses and with coworkers, with the people who work for you, to say, I will not treat you disrespectfully and you shouldn't do the same to me. I will not call a meeting just to make sure you're not out doing your grocery shopping and then lecture at you for half an hour when I could send a memo instead. I will not focus on obedience, I will focus on standards. That it is possible to create change. And change is what makes us human. Change is where significance lies. That if all you're doing is managing and repeating and repeating, well, that's sort of important, but maybe someone else can do that. You mentioned you mentioned in the book that this is a catch twenty two and everyone's hesitating to go first in this conversation, and I I would so we're we're trying to solve for this by getting a conversation going, but I would also I would also argue that many people don't think they're mistreating their employees. Many people are stuck in a, a legacy mindset and they may not even be aware that this is not the way that you should be leading. So. What, what does good look like? What does an ideal organization look like so that we can sort of frame it? Why is the, 
sounds silly to say this, but why is the, the assembly line mode of leading an organization not ideal? Okay, so there are very few villains here. Most people who are working hard, whether they are managers, bosses, or employees, are not seeking to do the wrong thing. I will leave several billionaires out of that discussion. But in general, they're just doing their job. But their job was invented 110 years ago. That industrialism is a very specific way of being in the world that was inconceivable before the 1800s. And return on machines, return on time, figuring out how to use a stopwatch, measuring everything. Well, it made us all rich. It gets you a certain kind of productivity. But it's running out of steam. It's running out of steam because now every car is really high quality. And now every car is made in pretty much the most efficient possible way. It's being replaced by a creation of value that works a different way. So the project I did before this one, I was a volunteer for over a year, uh, coordinating the work full time of more than 300 people in 40 countries to build the Carbon Almanac. Every one of us was a volunteer. We produced a book that's been translated into Italian, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Czech, and many other languages. It won a worldwide award for design. It's 97,000 words. It's footnoted. When it came out, there wasn't one significant error in the whole thing. How did 300 people produce in less than five months a book like this with nobody in charge and nobody being told what to do? Well, that kind of leap is possible when you get good people who are enrolled in a journey and get out of their way, when you have standards instead of obedience. So, yeah, we still need managers. I want the people at the pacemaker factory and the people who are you know, doing surgery to be extremely structured in their management style. But if our job is to invent the future, we have to get beyond being mediocre because GPT is better at being mediocre than we are. Now, you know, when you mentioned that example, I think of Wikipedia as an example of that, too. I think of Wikipedia and all the, con the contributors and them checking themselves and then the output is, is quite good. But there's a vision associated with Wikipedia. There's there's a there's a higher there's a there's a higher calling for the people that contribute and spend their free time very much similar to what you just did. So I want to I want to understand your thoughts. An organization has to have that higher calling and that vision that permeates the people that work there. But simultaneously, you're running up against the issue of people being very transient in their careers and moving. So the organization wants to have a vision, wants to get people to buy into it. But that person is only spending two years at that organization. How do you solve for that? Well, um, what's the vision of the Hillside Elementary School? Right. That mm. one of the most common jobs in the United States is school teacher. Lenny Levine, who was the kindergarten teacher at Hillside until he passed away, every year started over from scratch. And the mission for a lot of teachers is follow the curriculum, earn tenure, do your job, because that's what principals push them to do, because that's what boards push principals to do. And Lenny said, let's get real or let's not play. He said, in my kindergarten class, the rules are going to be different, and I'm going to change these kids forever. And 25 years later, my kids still remember. Because you can choose to do that. And the receptionist 
at the doctor's office isn't the person who's going to be sticking a scope up somebody's nose. But mm-hmm. she has a lot to do with whether someone's going to get better or not. And so the question is, how does she manage the office, that's her title, office manager, to create the conditions for possibility? Not just for the patients, but for the people who work there. So that it's not a day's work for a day's pay. It's a human being showing up not as a resource, but as the point, because that's what work is for. Once we figured out how to grow enough food and uh, other resources to survive, what exactly is the point of going to work? I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking about um, another point that you brought up was balancing the needs of the business versus the needs of the individual. So let's talk, because I think to to if we look back at your body of work, a lot of the work that you've done on marketing is to shift the focus from focusing on the organization to focusing on the customer. And then a point that you bring up in this book is as an organization, you're focusing on the, not the needs of the organization anymore, the needs of the employee. And you've, and you've sort of mentioned this a few times. So I think this all comes down to how do we, how do we champion the needs of the individual or the employee? And, and again, look at them like not just a piece of a company, but an actual human being. So what are the needs of the individual once they have their pay and they have their food and they have their shelter? We've satisfied Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What does a person need in an organization? Well, I need to highlight one thing, which is I am not saying companies need to give some sort of economic value to their employees because it's the right thing to do. What I'm saying is creating the conditions for growth and significance actually helps the company achieve what it sought to accomplish in the first place. So if we can use Google as an example, and then I'll try to be more specific in your question. Uh, Early on, when I was at Yahoo, uh, Google was doing some really interesting things. It was a pretty small company, and then they were going to have to shut down. And the reason they were going to have to shut down is not because they weren't making any money. They had plenty of money in the bank. It's because the amount of data they were trying to store was so large that it was crashing their search engine. It was taking forever to get results. And the laws of physics were involved here. You can't just say, let's everybody work harder, because the fact is the speed of light is the speed of light. And two engineers put in emotional labor and effort and figured out that if they just stored certain kinds of data on the outside of the hard drive instead of on the inside ring of the hard drive, it spins faster on the outside and they could get the data fast enough to keep Google from going out of business. Now, that sort of change doesn't happen because some manager is offering people a bonus, Mm -hmm. nor does it happen because you're yelling at them. It happens because a human being is enrolled in the journey of trying to make a change happen. And what human beings want, and I surveyed 10,000 people in 90 countries, they want to be treated with respect, they want to exceed their own expectations for what they thought was possible, and they want to work with people that they like and respect. They want those three things way more than they want a promotion or title or salary. They don't want to travel or get paid a lot compared to being able to show up as a human to do work that matters with people who care. And I don't care if you run a sandwich shop, that's still going to pay off for you. 
one example that you brought up, I thought was interesting to that point. And, and I think this is the right context. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Harry Brighthouse example. Where Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution. It's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC, everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. It's, it's basically based on the movie, The Paper Chase, and the professor's cold calling on students. But everybody mm-hmm. wants to be in this class. And it's interesting because cold calling on students, it's uncomfortable. It's not something that you'd think people would want to subject themselves to. But this is the most wanted class that everybody wants to be in. So it shows that people when given the opportunity to to excel and and be in a group of peers that are also excelling they're going to take that opportunity well it's important to note that not everybody wants to be in the class in fact almost nobody wants to be in the class but that's enough that Mm. if you've been indoctrinated from first grade to ask will this be on the test to do the minimum amount of work and to get by why would you want to be in a class where you get called on The goal is to take an easy class. But if you are thinking smart about this, college is costing you $50,000, $60,000, $80,000 a year that you're going to be in debt for for decades or more. Why wouldn't you want to go to a classroom where everybody else wants to be there too? And that's the magic of the Bright House approach, which is some people want to be in a room with people who want to be in the room. Now, is this, so this, this speaks about, I don't know if this speaks about the soft skills that you should be looking for, because then this is, this is an an education for a leader saying, how do I find the people that want to be in that room? And traditionally, 
I would only hire people that have the hard skills. And you, you address this as well. But then at the end of the book, you have an encyclopedia of real skills, things that are soft skills. But as a lead, I've hired a lot of people. You've hired a lot of people. A lot of people listening to this have hired a lot of people. You can gauge some of this, but ultimately it's stressful when you're hiring somebody to hire based on soft skills. So how do you hire properly? What are you, what, is, what is your advice for the, the manager, the leader, or the director, the VP that wants to incorporate this? So just to catch people up, what I'm saying is if it's easy to measure, might not be important. If they went to a famous college, if they have the same skin color as you, if they're tall, if they're charismatic, if they interview well, if they can type a lot of words per minute, if they commit a lot of lines of code to GitHub, fine, but that's not really what's going to transform your organization. It's loyalty, honesty, uh, empathy, connection, possibility, the willingness to sit in the liminal state between here and there. Lots of things that don't show up on resumes. And what I have found, because I don't know a better shortcut, is the only way to know that is to work with somebody. And the good news is you can now work with somebody before you hire them. And so my ironclad policy is I only work with people I've worked with before. So if I'm going to work with somebody I haven't worked with before, I give them a project and I pay them for it. And in the act of them working with you, you can see what it's like to work with them. What do they do when something is difficult? Do they always need instructions? Do they give people the benefit of the doubt? If they're not acting like the kind of person you want to work with, don't work with them. So when I started my own business years ago, I felt like I was being thrown at the deep end. And there's a podcast I'm going to talk about in just a second that I wish I had when I was building anything from scratch. The podcast, some of the startups I worked in, it's called the Millionaire University Podcast. It's not just another business podcast with jargon and theory. The two hosts, Justin Tara Williams, they've been there, done that, built their own multi-million dollar business from scratch. This podcast is like having a personal mentor, a successful millionaire, giving you a masterclass each episode. They walk through highly tangible, tactical business strategies that they have used in their own business that will definitely make your life easier. They also bring on some of their own mentors that have helped them in their journey, as well as bring on new entrepreneurs that are figuring things out. And it's kind of like a Q&A classroom session. So if you are ready to take the next step in your business, you want to scale it to at least seven figures and beyond, you need to listen to the Millionaire University podcast. They drop episodes every Monday and Thursday, and they've also built a community around this podcast. So if you are an entrepreneur, go down this rabbit hole. You can find their podcast, the Millionaire University podcast, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I wish I had something like this when I started my own business. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Trust me, you won't regret it. I love that. It's so simple. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually not that complicated when you break it down. Um, why did you feel it was important to highlight the difference between tension and stress? When I talk about uh, tension, it makes people really uncomfortable, which is ironic, of course. Um, tension, if I want to shoot a rubber band across the room, is only going to happen if I pull it backwards. Otherwise, it doesn't go. No joke is funny without tension. That's why it's called a punchline. It comes at the end, right? When I say knock, knock, and you say who's there, there's tension as we wait for the next part. Tension is the essence 
of growth and learning and all the sorts of things we try to create as marketers and leaders. Stress, on the other hand, is wanting to be doing two things at the same time, here and there, away from here, toward here. Mm -hmm. That I need to be at work, but I need to be at home. That uh, I have no choice but to be in this spot because I'm bolted down and I want to leave. Two different things at the same time, it causes our brain to, re to output chemicals that don't make us happy. So I'm in favor of reducing stress by the stories we tell ourselves, by the choices we get to make, by creating a fairer culture. But I'm also in favor of creating tension to produce outputs that we seek. Another, th another lesson that I picked up from this that I think is a great lesson for any leader, it's about feedback loops. And you mentioned two in particular. You mentioned uh, Paul Orfalia and you mentioned Harry Acker. And the two feedback loops they built I guess into the into the the DNA of the organization. I didn't know these right. stories, so I mean, Paul, uh, he was Kinko's. Um, uh, Harry was Sleepy's. Uh, maybe you could tell those stories, and then a, a little bit of a playbook for how to build feedback loops into organizations. Why they're so important? Um, because I think a lot of people, they're desk managers, and they aren't as active in the yeah. field as they should be. Yeah, this is, this is great. And I got to witness them both firsthand. Amazing. I'll begin by That's saying <laughs> that uh, culture defeats strategy every time. Culture is the way things are around here. Culture is how people make decisions when it's not in the handbook or the manual. Who is building the culture in your organization, in your shop, in the whole place? The culture is a choice. If you don't make the choice, you still made the choice. The culture is a choice. So Paul... And he called the place Kinko's because he had a big, kinky haircut. Um, Paul proudly told everyone he had dyslexia. He was virtually illiterate. And he built a company that he sold to, to FedEx for billions of dollars. And Paul told me that the way he built it was super simple. All day, every day, all he would do was visit stores. And he would walk into the store and say to the person behind the desk, what's working? And they had to tell him something that the store had innovated, little or big, that was working. And then he would tell all the other stores. And if they didn't have an innovation, they got in trouble. So everybody there knew that the culture was try something. What would happen if we had six business books in the front of the store? Maybe they would sell. So one store tried that. And the next thing you know, it's a very big line of business. And then one day I was in a mattress store and the phone rang. I never met Mr. Sleepy. He was old at that time. But the phone rang and this clerk got really nervous because I guess the phone doesn't ring very often in a mattress store. And he answers the phone and I could hear it from like across the desk. And the guy who's talking doesn't say hello or anything, just says, what's wrong? And if you didn't have anything wrong with your store, you were in trouble. But if you could tell Mr. Sleepy something that wasn't ideal, it would get fixed. And that was the culture at Sleepy's. And so in both cases, we have somebody, they don't have to have their name on the door, who creates a culture of what things are like around here. And these acts of creating culture change what people think of as normal and what they decide to do next. You know, I was listening to um, Alex Hermosi, who has become very popular very quickly, and, and he's built a large business. And I, I know that 
he has proactively gone out against his organization and he's basically said to any member of his team, try and replace yourself with AI. Try and replace any task you do with AI. As it doesn't matter what it is. And it's almost encouraging, it's, it's giving psychological safety, it's encouraging people to feel safe saying, hey, listen, this piece of the job, it's redundant. My time is better spent somewhere else. And I don't think a lot of leaders are asking that and giving the psychological safe space for their employees to do that. I don't think a lot of employees are putting up their hands saying, hey, 50% of what I do is a waste of time. And that's a yeah. huge inefficiency. Yeah, no, I think... It's a great point, and it gets to standards versus obedience. So one of the things that happened during the pandemic is uh, a, an urban legend started to spread of some people who were doing two jobs, both full-time. And I've heard this. If they, <laughs> right? If they could just juggle the Zoom meetings, no one would know they had two full-time jobs. And the manager who cares about obedience freaks out at that. The same way today you could probably become way more productive if with your own money, you hired a virtual assistant and outsourced some of your work on Upwork because you could then hand in really well done spreadsheets or lines of code, even though you didn't spend any time doing it at all, you're just arbitraging it to the outside world. So the question is, is that okay? Well, if someone's measuring obedience, it's not okay because what I paid for was your butt in the seat and your fingers on the keyboard, and I'm measuring how you work. But if it's standards, then what I'm measuring is, this is what we do around here and how we do it. Is this better than good enough? And if it is, continue. You figure out how to solve the problem. And so if you can create an organization built on standards, employees who are enrolled in your journey will continue to make the organization better because they will exceed standards. But if you build an organization that is based on obedience, then you have to watch everybody all the time. Because that obedience model, that's the low trust model. And I've seen this. I've seen this play out. I've seen companies install the, 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 the work from home monitors where they take a screenshot every few minutes. Actually, I, I know somebody that interviewed for a VP level job. I think it was about a $300,000 salary plus bonus and it was still eight hours tracked on a computer screenshots every couple minutes and then i've seen companies take it to the nth degree where i think it was a call center and this is just all anecdotal i don't have points to back it up but i've you know you hear the rumors of camera has to be on all day you have the managers watch it like it's just horror stories yep it's absolute <laughs> horror stories um how do you how do you get we touched on this a little bit but I want to go a little bit deeper because we we're speaking about getting employees to care and getting employees to buy into the vision and we spoke about some good examples we spoke about uh, you know the, the the receptionist at a doctor's office or, or uh, the individual you mentioned at the at the school um, but for somebody who's hiring uh, in, a, in a very boring I put boring in air quotes boring industry and they feel like they're hiring you know sales reps and there's sales jobs all over the place and and people are coming and going and they have high churn and they're asking how do i get this particular employee in an unsexy industry in an unsexy job and there's no altruism associated inherently with selling software right into an industry they don't care about how do i get that employee to care let's get real again or let's not play if i owned a car dealership 
I would say, if you are looking for a job, easy in, easy out, churning your way through a file and earning a certain kind of commission, here's the phone number of four of my competitors. Please go work <laughs> there. Eager to send you there. But if you want to put yourself on the hook and you want to explore what it is to do a different kind of interaction with customers and a different kind of transparency with your boss, here's how we do things around here. And this is what I need from you and this is what you're going to get from me. And I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. And if you don't keep your end of the bargain, you will know it before I do. And if you want to get real, this is the kind of place we're going to build together. Now, does that mean everyone will want to be one of my customers? Of course not. The reason we have car salesmen the way they do is that many car buyers want there to be car salesmen like that. They want high pressure and deception because it works. That's If it didn't work, I guarantee you it wouldn't be there. But we're going to appeal to a different kind of customer. And in fact, Ike Sewell, years ago, had a Cadillac dealership in Texas that was the number one Cadillac dealership in America because he did exactly the same thing. One of the things he did, and I, Zig uh, used to tell this story, Zig or Tom Peters? Zig. Uh, one of the things he used to do is every three months, the sales manager and the service manager had to switch jobs. Why would you do that? You would do it because then the service manager would hear all the promises the salespeople had been making about what service would do. And then the sales manager would hear about all the times people had been dis uh, disappointed by the service people. And by creating this empathy, by moving people around and professionalizing the work, it created a completely different kind of dealership. And if you went in to Sewell Cadillac with a piece of paper and said, I think I can save $12 over at your competitor, they would say, you want a lift? Go save $12. We're not, gonna, we're not racing to the bottom. What's up, everyone? Just want to take a second, thank the sponsor of today's episode, Brevo. Now, Brevo is a game-changing platform that has the potential to supercharge your business. If you want to expand your customer base, supercharge your revenue, who doesn't, right? Brevo is the go-to platform. Brevo, you used to know it as Send in Blue, is designed to fully empower businesses to thrive. With Brevo, you have all the tools you need in one easy-to-use platform to cultivate meaningful relationships and drive sustainable, predictable growth. Brevo makes it simple and accessible to create engaging, personalized email campaigns, SMS or WhatsApp messages, stunning landing pages, automated workflows. Whether your goal is customer acquisition, retention, loyalty, Brevo checks all the boxes. It has a toolkit you need to turn the one-time browser into the long-time customer. Beyond just marketing, Brevo is a unified platform. It allows you to streamline your business ops, scheduling meetings, managing tasks and projects, all in one place. It's an ideal growth tool for marketers, SMBs, and sales teams looking for one consolidated toolbox to scale their business. It's trusted by over 500,000 businesses across 180 countries. It includes leaders like Sodexo, Louis Vuitton, Carrefour, eBay, Michelin. They all rely on Brevo's robust technology and extensive integrations to deliver unparalleled customer experiences, reduce costs, drive sales. This is what you gotta do. Get started with Brevo for free by clicking our link below or going to brevo.com success and use the promo code success to save 50% on your first three months of the starter and business plan. 
That's brevo.com slash success, promo code success, and sign up for free. And when, you know, one of the things that we were speaking about is, is also, is also meaningful work. I love that, by the way, I, I, I just want to, I want to wrap up with this. I want to, actually, there's two things I want to wrap up with, excuse me. So I want to talk first, um, which is very relevant now in a, in a post COVID environment where everything's virtual and everyone's working from home. Um, and you, you touch on meetings a lot in the book and why there's a, basically an overemphasis on meetings. And I think it's gotten even worse now. And I think you can attest to this. You you couldn't have uh, two two seconds of of content to deliver to a person or a peer or a coworker, and you spend an hour on a on a Zoom call, right? It's it's ridiculous. So knowing knowing the current environment and and how unhealthy meetings have become and how ridiculous meeting culture has become, uh, how do we fix this particular thing in a business? Because I think that this is very tiring. I was just speaking to somebody earlier today that actually uh, gave scientific facts as to why when we're talking on a meeting, it's it's more uh, on a zoom call it's more tiring because we don't have the uh the type of signals and connections between ourselves and our brains that we would have if you're sitting in the same room and it takes a lot of cognitive uh power to understand what the person is saying and the cues the nonverbal cues aren't there so it's just exhausting it's very bad for organizations how do we fix this how do we solve for meetings so meetings aren't the problem meetings are the symptom of the problem and the problem is we're not able to ask our boss and our coworkers, what is this for? And if you're not able to ask, what is this for, whatever it is, then you haven't made an agreement to be significant. If the question, what is this for, if the answer is because we always do it this way, then it answers itself. So my friend Toby has a company with more than 5,000 employees, 10,000, and he also knows how to program. He went in and deleted every regularly scheduled group meeting in the entire company on a Sunday, just from everyone's Google Calendar, it just disappeared. And then on Monday, everyone got an email and it said, if you really need this meeting back, you can have it. But why don't you try it without for a while? He saved the company millions and millions of dollars in untold mm -hmm. frustration. So if we can't say to our boss, I see you have a meeting scheduled for an hour. What's it for? Would it be easier if you recorded a five-minute video and just emailed it to everybody? If you can't have that conversation, then meetings aren't really the problem. The problem is you can't even ask about it. And the last thing I wanted to ask, you, you make a wonderful reference about the focus on creating meaningful work like Mozart as opposed to background noise like music. Um, so how do you... How do you quantify, how do you, how do you measure meaningful work? What is the new metric as a business that we should be striving to attain? So Muzak, in terms of number of ears touched, it's pretty popular. Any elevators playing Muzak, not Mozart. But for me, the question is, did you make a change happen? Did you take a risk to do a generous act for anyone? that the goal of being significant is the smallest unit of change in a good way for the smallest viable number of people, because then you get to do it again. Stop worrying about mass, stop worrying about average, stop worrying about scale, and worry about better instead. Because if you can create a better day for everyone who interacts, the business part will take care of itself. I love that. Now, if people want to go get the book. When is it coming out? I mean, 
you can drop all the socials that you want to drop. Um, but where should they go get the book? Um, what can they learn from the book outside of what we spoke about today? Who's this book for? Um, just give a little bit of a primer so that somebody's really clocked into what they're going to get from it and then give some dates because I, I, I think I have the dates, but I don't have in front of me. So, Right. So we're talking, uh, this is coming out at the end of May, May 30th, the book comes out. If you go to sethsblog song, S-O-N-G, there's some videos there for me. There's a link to podcasts there, and there's lots of ways to buy the book. You will not find me in most of social media because I don't want to be the product. I would rather do my work, um, and perhaps you could try that too. I like that. Okay, last question I ask everyone. Um, and you know what? If you write a 22nd and a 23rd and a 24th, I have no doubt you're going to keep writing books. We'll, we'll see how this answer changes as you release next book and next book and next book. But I ask everybody the same question. So after your career, after all your accomplishments, the businesses you built, the books you've written, what does success mean to you? Sometimes if I'm good at what I do, the people I teach, teach somebody else. And I don't need credit. I don't even want credit. I just want to know that I made things a little bit better. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed 
on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 